the poison and the antidote, is what I decided to call this message. It's from the text of Psalm 12 and Psalm 27. This morning we'll be spending time in Psalm 12. First, these psalms, they give us an ancient view of an intractable problem, which is that God's children, both then and now, have to endure liars and schemers and persecutors while patiently waiting for God's solution. The problem is a slow poison, which God himself is the antidote for. Psalm 27, or 12 and 27, were both written by the prophet King David. I think you'll see as we read through these verses that David had significant problems with people who wanted to tear him down and see him fail, even to the point of wanting to see him dead. David had human enemies for sure, but he also had a spiritual enemy who amazingly not only maligned him all his life, but even thousands of years later that same spiritual enemy was still attacking David, the memory of David. Did you know that it wasn't until 1994 that archaeologists and their associated academics had to finally admit that David was a real king of Israel? Up until that point, they proposed that he wasn't a real king. He was just a guy that personified what the Old Testament writers wanted to say. No, he was the real king of Israel. When his name showed, they had to admit that, when his name showed up on a, I always thought this was called a Stella. It's not, I looked it up, it's just, a, it's called Steel. His name showed up on a steel that had been excavated in Tel Dan, northern Israel, near Lebanon. Tel, have you heard that little, little sound uh, before the names of other places in, in Israel, like Tel Aviv? Tel means a raised mound of earth that was developed over centuries and over succeeding uh, civilizations. So when it is built, it's uh, abandoned or it's torn down or there's some disaster and there's a layer of dirt and people come back and build another place right on that same place. Anytime you see Tel before a name in Israel, it, it means it's successive generations of development. It's sobering to recognize that King David's spiritual enemy is the same one who comes against us. The same one. These psalms, like so much of Scripture, are a reminder to us to not lay aside our spiritual armor. Don't do it. Keep putting it on, even when it seems too heavy to wear, so to speak. Or it takes too much time. I know I have been guilty of getting up, having some coffee, and skipping right to the things I need to do. How much better for me to spend 
time consciously saying, God, I am going to trust you today. I'm going to wear this spiritual armor you've told us about in Ephesians. And please be with me as I'm in the battle today. The Psalms clearly show us that David knew God and he loved God and he depended on God. More importantly, God knew David and loved David and provided for David, even though he allowed him to go through difficult times. David's own sins caused him perpetual trouble. I, David, in some ways, is, is a guide for us. And in other ways, he's an example of what not to do, right? And yet, God loved him. I hope you think about this truth as you walk with Jesus this week. God knows you and loves you and is responsible for you all the way to your great homecoming and on through eternity. Not just getting there, but in all of eternity. God's taken responsibility for us. If you think that our book of Psalms now is a bit too long or a bit wordy, consider that it's the collected songs and praises of over a thousand years. A thousand years of the lives of the ancient Hebrews, 1400 B.C. to roughly 430 B.C. 150 songs are not too much at all especially since they, they each reveal and emphasize something about the character and sometimes mysterious ways of God, yeah? So let's look at Psalm 12. By the way, I'm using this really big Bible today because everyone knows the size of the Bible relates to the importance of the message. So... Let's begin with Psalm 12. Help, help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says, We will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. The wicked freely strut about, when what is vile is honored among men. As I was reading and rereading, I read that psalm a lot in the last month. I quickly realized that we're saying things like this to ourselves and to each other in our own time. These are not just things that people used to say to each other, right? 
we haven't changed very much. These are ancient thoughts and current thoughts at the same time. And some might even say that man hasn't changed very much. Sure, our customs are different. Our clothes look different. Most of our technology is different. But our hearts are the same. And it's out of the heart. Verse 1. We still like to exaggerate and make a point, don't we? Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. Really? Are you sure about that? They exaggerated sometimes to make a point. It can seem like we're the only ones or the only few who are still following God. Remember that one of God's most powerful prophets was subject to the same kind of pessimism. Elijah was running for his life because he did what God told him to do. What? You do what God tells you to do and you end up running for your life? That doesn't seem like it fits together. Not for a God that is responsible for us, right? Elijah was running for his life because he did what God told him to do. And that resulted in a very real threat to his life. And he thought the situation was so bad and he was the sole survivor. What was God's response to Elijah? What was God's response to his fear? Another task that again risked his life. We can think fear qualifies us to not do things. We think that that fear is an emotion that we need to pay attention to. We need to to let it be the trump card. But I'm afraid, so I can't. God knew Elijah was afraid. And he ends up just saying, okay, now go do this. You're going to risk your life again. Who here this morning has been accused of having man eyes? You know, sometimes us men, we we look for things and we can't find them. Then our wives walk right up to the item and ask, is this what you're looking for? (laughs) That resonates with some of us. It was right in front of us the whole time. And sometimes we have spiritual eyes of men as well. We look and see trouble, but we fail to see God in the midst of it right there in front of us. He said he'd never leave us or forsake us. Praise God, he's patient with us. But he wants us to learn to see with eyes that are spiritual. Through Look at situations through his eyes. Do the people around us lie about things? Yeah. Does our society still teach that lying is wrong? No. In fact, they teach now that some lying is actually good. Huh. Why have we learned to be suspicious of what people say? People lie. 
It's because we know that people lie. Some people lie a lot, especially people who want something from us. And I'll let you take that where your own experience takes you. Verse 2 brings up a good question. By the way, we're this far into the message and we've only gone through verse 1 and starting verse 2. It's okay. We're going to move a little quicker. Verse 2 brings up a good question. When does flattery become deception? Is telling someone you like their haircut, even though you liked it better the old way, is that worthy of a verse 3 consequence? Cut off the flattering lips and every boastful tongue? This is language that David is using to describe the, the, the powerful way that experiencing the lies of others has affected him. Obviously, we don't need to suggest we cut off people's lips. Ooh, there we go. David's complaining that people use their prideful, arrogant mouths to manipulate and to deceive others. And he would like God to do something about it. It's frustrating, isn't it? When liars continue to lie? When deceivers get away with it? Man, it's frustrating. And we wonder, where's God? In verse 5, we hear God coming to the rescue of the weak and the needy. He says, he will rise up and protect them. Then verse 6, David likens God's words to pure silver, no dross, no impurities. His word is completely trustworthy. In verse 7, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. Forever. Do you see David here taking the long view? This is key to understanding God's promises. God always has the long view in mind. That's why we can seem to be continually in a place where God's not showing up. God's not protecting me. God has the long view in mind. Remember, you're his. He's taking you home. You don't have to endure this forever. We get to be with him. And there will be no end to his love and provision and protection. Praise God. We simply don't know all the details of any situation. God does. Elijah thought that he was the only one still serving God. And God tells him that there were 7,000 others. Well, he missed that by a few, didn't he? We, We don't have God's view. So he tells him, you're not the only one. By the way, I've got another job for you. God knows about the details of our lives and how they fit into his big picture. What can, we, what can we be sure about? One thing is that he is ultimately and absolutely working for what is eternally best. 
I know the plans I have for you, right? Plans to ignore you and make fun of you when you fail. Oh, that's plans to prosper you and not harm you. God loves us. Verse 8 ends the song with the wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. Does that sound familiar? The things we look at and shake our head about and wish would go away have been around for a very long time. This is not the first generation to strut about and promote vile things. Some of the strutting about includes threats toward Christians. You see it on signs even. Should we be afraid? Absolutely not. We possess and have been personally changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel propelled by the love of God is able to redeem any strutting heart that will receive him. God can soften the prideful heart. We know that God wants prideful hearts to be humbled. So we should be praying that prideful hearts, wherever they're found, even among us, would be humbled and transformed and washed clean through the faith in Jesus Christ. God's word is true. And we know that God is faithful to be with us and strengthen us in the moments of our distress and in the times of our own persecution. We remember what Jesus said. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, you, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, <clears throat> but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, that's not happy talk. But Jesus was in the habit of speaking truth. Be encouraged. Why? Because he has overcome the world. I'm not sure we fully recognize that he has overcome the world. Everything's been decided. He's playing the long game against his spiritual enemies. God is not worried about how it's all going to turn out. He will prevail and we will prevail with him because he chose us out of the world and has brought us to himself. He wins, we win. In James chapter 3, God has likened the hateful words that fly off the human tongue to deadly poison. Timothy, James. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I know you haven't heard that before, right? <laughs> We do recognize, but we need to be reminded of it. It's a deadly poison.
In Psalms, it's the words of the godless that are like poison to the righteous. We all know that poison can harm and poison can even kill, and sometimes the outcome is dependent on the amount of time it has been in our system and how soon we get the antidote. When we're frustrated and hurt even by people's words and the lies that are told, should we wait to go to the Lord? Why let it fester in our system? Go get the antidote right away. Give it to the Lord. Psalm 12 acknowledges that the maliciousness of lies and the prevalence of deception is a bitter oppression to God's people. These things can and do discourage us. They can cause us even to lose hope. We can feel like we're in a battle alone and even people we've trusted betrayed us. The fight against God is happening all around us and sometimes it's directed at us personally. We may have taken so many hits that we start to wonder if God's love is slipping a little. That's a lie. Don't believe it. Maybe his love is conditional after all. No, that's a lie. He's told us in his word. Maybe I'm not being rescued from my trials because I'm too insignificant for God to care about. Yet another lie. Don't listen. Go to the Word. You see, lies, regardless of their source, are enough to make us sick in our spirit, and we need the antidote. Now that we've been reminded of the poison of the tongue, let's turn to the antidote, just found around the corner in Psalm 27. Now, John has already preached part of this psalm. (laughs) It was so good. And I'm hoping maybe Eunice can get up and play again while I read this. (laughs) It was nice to have some music with those words. Let's begin. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. What are strongholds for? Sometimes we think of a stronghold as bad. Oh, there's a stronghold of sin in our life. We keep fighting against it, but it's still there. Here, the stronghold is the good thing. It is God himself. And it's okay to flee to the stronghold. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh... When enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Have any of you felt like war has broken out against me? Everywhere I turn, there is somebody attacking me. Have you had those times in your life? Most of us have. Even then, I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
Is he really saying, I really want to go to the temple and live in the temple all the days of my life? Where is the house of the Lord? It is the place where he has taken up residence. And praise God for the church, he has taken up residence in our hearts. Spend time. Flee to that place where you know the Lord hears you because he's with you. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling place. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set, my, set me high upon the, a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Does that sound like somebody who's afraid? Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me and do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Have you ever approached God and wondered if he's going to answer you this time? Because you know what you've done. We don't deserve an answer. But that's not the God who loves us. Yeah, God wants us to stop and repent and follow after him. But he's always there to meet you. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Our hope is not just to be in heaven one day. God's with us now. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Oh, there it is. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Are you tired of waiting for me? Am I... Does God put us on hold? Sorry, I'm on another call. I'm going to have to put you on hold. But sometimes he's quiet. And he lets us experience what we're in. And he wants something to happen here. Because it's him working in us. Don't Assume that because you don't get an answer like this, that God's not listening. He is listening. And sometimes he makes us wait. Hmm. There's a lot to say about this passage. 
It's an ancient song, and it's even, we've made a modern song out of it. But it's so much more than a song. It's a, dedic- it's a declaration of truth. Another, this, who, this is who God is revelation. Or we can, I've coined a word, it's a Godscape. We love to look at a landscape. The Psalms are full of Godscapes. It's another intersection where God meets us and allows us to perceive him and understand who he is. Okay, now there are several ways to inspect this psalm and look for its nourishment. With our remaining time, we're going to look through it, looking for three things. Who God is, what the Lord will do, and what I can do. And remember, we're looking for antidote to the poison. The poison of lies and falsehoods and misrepresentations and insincere flattery and, and verbal manipulations. The Lord is my light. That was an easy one. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my helper. You can say every one of those to yourself every day and it's still true. The Lord will keep me safe in his dwelling place. The Lord will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. The Lord will hear my voice when I call. The Lord will receive me. He'll allow me to dwell with him all the days of my life. So, consequently, I will not fear. I'll be confident. I'll seek his face. I'll gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I'll sacrifice with shouts of joy. I'll sing and make music to the Lord even when things are not going well because I know the truth. I'll be taught the ways of the Lord. I'll be led in a straight path. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. When we read this psalm, we might react with an, oh no, there it is. In this psalm, God saved the hardest thing for last. Wait on the Lord. We're not real good at that, are we? We don't live in a patiently waiting culture. We are in an I want what I want and I want it now culture. True? Child of God is on the, on the other hand is taught by God to patiently wait. How does he teach us that? It's not just reading. I got it. I can pass the test. I can answer that correctly. No, he's far more practical. He puts us in situations where we have to wait, and sometimes they're really uncomfortable. But he's teaching us. Some of us would rather walk across hot coals than have to wait. Yet sprinkled throughout Scripture is this idea of waiting. You may not be aware of this, but wait on the Lord has a close and constant companion. Her name is Trust. 
And she lives right next to the throne of God in every Christian heart. Making things even better, when weight and trust are together, Brother Peace comes and makes himself at home too. Sadly, worry is always trying to move in and kick all three to the curb. Worry will often hitch a ride with the poison brothers, lie and manipulate. Usually, lie and manipulate come just to visit and to try to take advantage. But worry, worry's different. Worry tries to stay. You see, worry is part of the poison family too. Worry burrows in and actually tries to kill trust. Because then, wait on the Lord will be no more. And peace will be nowhere to be found. Thankfully, God himself is the antidote to the whole poison family. Listen to what Jesus said about worry to the, uh, the assembled crowd there on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 6. Oh, I hope I marked this right. 6.27. He's talking to the people and everybody's excited. Wow, he is different. He speaks with authority. And he says, who of you can, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Go ahead, raise your hand. Again, as the church began, in the second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, I can't do this. I just can't. Something bad's going to happen. That spirit is not from the Lord. He didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Oh, thank you, Lord. There goes the water. Finally, these passages... <laughs> These passages are in perfect agreement with one another. And with what came through the prophet Isaiah, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. You mean even when we're with him in eternity, we still have to trust in the Lord? Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. I'm out of time. Next meeting starts in 10 minutes. I hope you've been encouraged this morning to trust and to wait knowing that God loves you. He's got the situation in hand. Can things get really hard? Yeah. It's okay. Trust in the Lord. I'd like to end today's message by...
praying the words of David from 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13. And I would like you to pray with me. David spoke these words before the congregation of Israel. And they're words that are appropriate for us. So would you stand, please? Is it up there? Let's, with an attitude of prayer, even though our eyes are open, let's pray this together. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen?